Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is the singer, vocalist, songwriter, Michaela Delgado from the incredible band Yours Truly. This is a great interview and I absolutely love her from start to finish and I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. But you know the score by now. I like to touch base and talk about the last episode. On the last episode, I was joined by one of the best artists out there, Dan Mumford, an absolutely incredible talent. And honestly, the response was huge. I'm so grateful for him for taking the time to come on the podcast. And I've been really enjoying these brand new interviews with artists. It's opened a whole new range of guests for me. And the response has been so, so good to see. So thank you. But like I said, today I'm talking to the vocalist and an absolutely incredible talent herself, Michaela Delgado. Yours truly are an amazing band. The album is out now and it's absolutely incredible. Jump on to Spotify as soon as you've listened to this interview. Or if you really want to stop, do it now and then come back to the interview. You need to check it out. The album's called Self Care and hasn't got a bad track on it. It's that good. It's easily a contender for one of my albums of the year. And I really hope if the world goes back to normal next year, I'll get to see them at Slam Dunk Festival in the UK or at one of their own shows. She's incredible and I think the best thing to do now is get to the interview. So here's Michaela and me talking all things music. Thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having me. What I wanted to do for the listeners out there that are discovering yours truly for the first time is take it right back to the start. So I want to know from you, was it at school that you fell in love with music at a young age? Was it a first CD you bought or a first gig you went to? What can you remember those sort of first bands that you were listening to that shaped the music you love now? Um, I think in terms of music, I've just always loved music. I think I've always walked around the house singing. So I don't really know where like that started from, but I re- I had um well I have a cousin and she was really like you know into the whole like MySpace emo thing. So she introduced me to like Paramore. And yeah. I think the first two bands was Paramore and Bring the Horizon. So like they were like the two bands that like I was in primary school and I was listening to them. So that's kind of like where it started for me. And do you remember those sort of first albums that you went and bought that you actually fell in love with, that you listened to from start to finish, not just like a couple of songs, but those albums that you just had on repeat all the time? Um, That was definitely um, Fallen by Evanescence for me. That album, like as a whole, I would put that album on and set up my microphone in front of the mirror (laughs) and just sing the whole album from beginning to end. And that was kind of like my practice. Amazing. And what about when it came to live music? Because obviously everyone loves CDs and sitting there and reading the lyrics and all this. But can you remember that first time you actually got to experience a band on stage and made you think, wow, this is what I want to do? In terms of bands, um, I don't think I really got to see any bands until I, you know, I kind of went to like, you know, those those concerts to see like the pop artists when they came to the arena tours. But the first ever band that I went to go and see was Tonight Alive and it was their um, album launch for What Are You So Scared Of? And it was in this small venue in Sydney that, that doesn't even exist anymore. And um, I remember watching it and just thinking that all the bands were so cool. And I went with my parents because I was still really young. And I think, yeah, I think ever since then, it's always been like, that's what I want to do. And at a young age, when you know that you want to be a musician, um, some parents and obviously um, families aren't completely going to back that because it's, you know, it's not easy to make it in the music industry. I remember when I was in a band when I was growing up, my parents were supportive. They'd take me to band practice and all this sort of stuff. But 
there's a difference of them saying, mum, dad, I want to try and make a career out of this when they're thinking, well, I don't know if you'll be the next Nirvana or Pearl Jam, you know. Mine, mine have always been so supportive. Um, I've been playing, you know, music forever. Like I can't really think of a time that I haven't. And they've always taken me to lessons and to gigs. And when, um, you know, I started like playing in bands and stuff, they were always at every show. And when I first started touring, they would come with me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've always been like really lucky, like with them. Um, They've always told me, um, don't have a plan B, only have plan A, because if you set your mind to one thing, you don't really have to worry about anything else because you, you can do anything you, you set out to achieve. So I've kind of grown up with that mentality. That's awesome. And you said that you're in quite, have you been in quite a few bands throughout your um, teenage years? Yeah, I was in a few like in school and, yeah. um, you're like yours truly I put together in year 11 so that yeah. was like my second last year of school so um but before that it was kind of like just trying to find something that worked and I think when you're in bands and you're working with all different people you need to find the perfect perfect mix of people the perfect um what's that word um I can try to think of like when everything just like works um, like a good combination of personalities and determination. And so um, I was really lucky that I found that quite early on. And can you tell me about how yours truly came together? So how you got these musicians together all in one place and where it was that you actually had that first kind of practice to work out if it would all gel together? Mm-hmm. So I had seen a video of our guitarist Teddy on Facebook. Um, he was playing in another band and I remember just like seeing him and him just like catching my eye being like, that guy is like really cool. I think he was like dressed up really cool and he just looked like he was really enjoying himself. At the time, I really just wanted to start like a band from scratch and I had never, you know, been able to start a band from scratch. I had always kind of like just play people at school, like join things. So um, I remember sending him a message on Facebook and was just like, do you want to start a band? And he was like, 100%. We became best friends like instantly. Um, just both kind of, you know, agreeing and um, bonding over the whole thing of wanting to be in a band and wanting to play Warp Tour and wanting to tour the world and stuff like that. And, like, we had never really met anyone that kind of had that same mentality. Um, he knew Lockie because he played guitar with him. And we also found Brad on Facebook. Um, but Teddy and I have known each other for about five years now. Yeah. Now, did you all live quite close together? So um, Teddy and Lockie live like kind of around the corner from each other. Yeah. Um, I lived like an hour away from them. Like I, we all live in Sydney. Yeah. Um, Brad, Brad was living in Canberra when he joined the band, but he's recently just moved into Lockie's house. So they live together now. And I'm like the odd one out that doesn't live near them. But um, that's never, it's never really been an issue. Like we just, you know, take turns traveling to each other and um you know, Sydney's, Sydney's not a big city, but it's not a small city either. So you just know that it's going to take you an hour to get anywhere. So Sydney is Sydney. And can you remember those first times that you were kind of rehearsing and you were songwriting together and you were putting those kind of demos together? Can you remember like the process of, was it yourself that had an idea that you brought to the rehearsal room or was it one of the guys that brought a riff or something? How, how does it create the songs for you guys as a band? How does it kind of start? Um, it starts with, um, we like to sit in a room and kind of just play. 
Yeah. Um, I think it's always been something that's worked for us. Um, is to just kind of sit down, press record, and then someone starts playing something or I'll sing something and then people will just like add on. And that's kind of like how we've written our favourite songs. And they're usually the easy ones as well. Um, and that's how we wrote, it's definitely how we wrote High Hopes, how we wrote Composure. Um, and those songs are like some of our favourites. Um, and I think it's also like that vibe of like kind of like looking around the room and smiling at each other and be like, that actually doesn't sound bad. And then just kind of like going back and then demoing and all that. But yeah, we usually just start by just having a jam. And what about gigging? Because obviously how long were you kind of jamming and putting these songs together until you felt that you were comfortable and the songs were structured well enough to kind of create a set list so you could then go out and play these songs live? We, we had an opportunity. The first show we ever played was an acoustic session um, with, at the time we were like with this management company um, because we had, you know, put a whole bunch of like songs together and then we like started, you know, we started working with someone and we just did like this little like acoustic, acoustic gig thing for his, his like company. I remember it was. And it was just like friends and family. Like it was very small. Yeah. And I remember just, you know, it was, it's not the same playing your songs acoustically and especially that being like your first gig. Um, at the time, my brother um, had been on the X Factor Australia. Oh, right. Okay. And he, um, he did a tour of Australia once they came off the show and that was our first ever tour. So I was very lucky that I had someone in my family and someone that I was close to to be like, hey, come on tour with us. And when we went on that tour, we went around Australia and we got to meet a whole bunch of other bands. And then so many of so many experiences and opportunities came out of that. And I, yeah, I definitely learned a lot. And, you know, especially being comfortable with a whole bunch of friends and stuff yeah. like that um, and family, you, um, it's, it was a very comfortable setting for us. And I think we're very lucky to have the opportunity. I was going to say, because most bands like start out playing like a, a local youth club or a, a bar or a pub. And then obviously you're playing quite a quite a, an established uh, tour to start with, I suppose, doing those sort of dates. Must have had quite a lot of people turning up. How how did you find it? Because obviously you probably have to be quite confident in what you're doing to then go out and try and impress these people and warm up as, you know, for other bands that are playing. Yeah, we definitely were like jumping off into the deep end with that. Um, just not playing any shows beforehand, but I think it really um, just pushed us to have to be good. Yeah, and I think that we've always just been like, this has to be the best show you've ever played, and you need to be like really good because there are, you know, there are a decent amount of people here. And after that tour, we did a, f- a few tours after that that you know weren't that established and were a lot smaller. And then um, you learn how to. Um, how to play and how to be in different situations and I think that was good that we learned that early on like how to perform in a you know in a in a bigger room how to how to perform in a smaller room and even though you should always give it your all I think that being in so many different situations gave us a little more experience than we should have had and what was it like? I mean, were you getting people coming up after the, the gig asking for them to buy an album or a CD? And then you're like, well, we haven't got one yet. We haven't actually recorded. Well, at this point, we had spent time, you know, recording. And we did. We had an EP and we yeah. went on tour with E. Because we spent a lot of time just, you know, writing and playing together before we before we did anything. So we had a whole bunch of songs ready anyways. And that was over that tour was the first time we, like, had a CD. And it was like the first bunch of songs that we had written 
and um yeah and we I kind of like listen to it now and I'm like oh it's like so it's you know we're a different band now but that's just kind of like who we were when we were 17 and yeah you know it doesn't sound as you know doesn't sound like what we're doing now but um I, you can definitely hear like that we were trying to find ourselves and that's definitely an EP of us trying to figure out who we wanted to be and now that you've kind of established your own sound and you're probably comfortable and feel like these songs represent you the best. So if you, unfortunately, we can't tour right now in the world because of the COVID and everything. But when you go and play these shows, you'll have the album Self-Care to then obviously promote when the time's right. How did it come about writing this album? Was it a case of after everything kind of got locked down, were you in a studio or did you do it all before the um, COVID stuff? We actually finished the album, I think it was two weeks before lockdown. right. Yeah. We were very lucky. I remember going out the night after we finished the album, and I think that was the last night I went out. I remember we were like, oh, let's go and celebrate. But we were all very like, should we? Like, it's kind of like, you know, don't want to get sick. And that was kind of like when it had all hit here. Um, And so we did that. We finished the album. Very lucky we got it done. Um, and then we had two weeks to kind of like scramble around to, you know, finalize singles, music video, promos, all the other stuff. And it was like, we need to get as much done in these two weeks so that if we go into lockdown for four months, yeah, we can release stuff. And so we did composure, we did music video, um, we did like, you know, we tried to do promos and stuff like that. And we we're trying to think about the second single, but then you know, when you don't have a mixed album and it's not, you know, not completely done, you just like, you don't know, but we knew we wanted Composure to be the first single. So that was easy. Um, and then I think after that, we're like, okay, well, once we knew Together was the next single, we're, like, we're going to have to brainstorm about what we can do without being together. And that's kind of how, you know, that music video came together with like the whole animation, but it's been weird considering that we don't, we've never put out an album before. And we kind of just had this expectation, this like, we just imagined that we'd be touring it and that we'd be doing all these things for it and um, we don't get to do that and we kind of don't really have a basis of what it would have been like if we got to do it. Was it one of those things as a band or as the label that decided um, to go see the albums out over for us at the end of next month, so the end of September? Uh, was there a kind of brainstorming session where you thought maybe you'd delay it even further until next year or something like that was it a case for you guys just to get the music heard now because the fans want it um we we did delay it um by a little bit it was supposed to come out i think around this time like around now but we were just a bit like um maybe we'll just give it a little bit more time i do and my main thing was i didn't want to release music while you know people you know were like fighting for their lives and like we didn't really understand what the world was going to be like and if this was going to like you know it's literally taken over the world and I think I think everyone that you know does music and is like releasing things is kind of thinking a bit like is this really the time to try to make it about me when it's not about me and that was the main thing we were thinking about. It less less of it being like, is it just going to get forgotten about or we're not going to be able to tour or is it just like not appropriate? But um, I think that like after talking about it, it's like let's push it back a little bit and let's give people just something to listen to and that, you know, 
with everything that we're supposed to do this year, we've been able to move it to next year. And all of our tours have been, you know, postponed, which we're really lucky. They just didn't get cancelled. Um, and that, you know, we will get to tour the album. It just won't be now. And, you know, maybe playing Slam Dunk next year will be better than playing Slam Dunk this year. Yeah. Our album will be out. People would have heard it, hopefully. Um, and it might just, like, do something completely different for us. And the title itself, self-care. Uh, what what's the kind of meaning behind that for this album, and obviously into then the concept with the rest of the tracks that fall within it. When naming the album, we had a few like a few things like should we name it after a lyric of the album or one of the songs, and we've always done like lyrics and like and titles and stuff. And this is the first time we've named anything that like it doesn't have anything to do with like any of the lyrics, song titles, or anything like that. But I think that um, we think that it just ties in the whole concept of the album with, um, you know, how writing it and recording it was such a self-care experience for us. Um, we'd had such a crazy year last year. We toured so much and we really we released Afterglow and then it was all of a sudden like we were overseas. Yeah. And we had, you know, we're quite young. We have just left school and we were just, you know, I think just trying to like cope a little bit with like trying to understand like where, like where we were going, like in our lives and trying to keep personal relationships and trying to, you know, stand top of our own mental and physical health and kind of throwing ourselves into the deep end and just kind of worrying about it later. And so I think writing this album, I think we all kind of like spoke about what we were experiencing and we were all like, hold on a second, like things are not okay. Yeah. Like, you know, and we, we've had all these amazing experiences this year, but like we are not taking care of ourselves. And um, I think writing the album, like it gave us like that real cathartic um, like feeling of like, okay, like we've been able to talk about this and be able to figure out how we feel about ourselves and about each other and about our lives. And it almost like helped us, like I know for me, it really helped me like get over a lot of things that I didn't realize were bothering me or that, um, you know, or that I, I knew were bothering me. Like I went through like a relationship breakup. I, um, and I, I did struggle a little bit, like, you know, on tour a little bit. In America, I, you know, in America, you, we spent six weeks there, like 40 shows. We've never done that before. And it, it definitely hit me. And I also have, um, like, I have a connective tissue disorder and I struggle with, like, chronic fatigue. And um, I think, yeah, I think all of these things um, gave me a lot of inspiration to write the album. Yeah. That part of it, and I definitely think that it helped me. And I called it self care because I hope it helps someone else. And it's all a learning experience, isn't it? I mean, to do that many shows, you kind of have to do that many to realize that it is too many and you'll end up burning out. So, at least now, when you do get to tour next year, you can probably schedule it better and have it so it's not so demanding on you as a person and your health. And is it, you know, I think it could be a big learning experience for you as a band. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying that I, I don't think I'll be able to do it. I just think that I learned on the tour of what we should do next time. Like maybe not eat Doritos for breakfast. And <laughs> yeah. Maybe just, you know, not run around every city and just take some time. And, you know, like we've seen, we've seen things now, like now it's time to just, you know, focus and, you know, be responsible and, you know, 
know when, you know, to be healthy and know when, like, when enough's enough. And, yeah, like, once you've done it, one, like, once you've done it, um, you you learn things for next time. We said it's a learning experience and we learned so much last year and we were just excited to keep going this year and to, like, you know, use all those things that we had learned and do everything better, but there's always next year. And with this being your debut album that the fans are waiting on, obviously to kind of... It's to leave your stamp, isn't it? It's a, you only get one chance of doing your debut. Um, and obviously for some bands, it's their legacy. It's their album that then everything is their kind of benchmark to be reviewed on for the next album and stuff. What's the pressure like to release it, knowing that this is your, you know, we are yours truly and this is our first album that you might get to hear as representing everything that we believe in and this is trying to sum up in 11 or 12 songs our whole band? I that whole thought was like in our heads the whole time of like this is our first album this is showing the world who we are needs to be perfect it needs to be amazing and like i was saying before last year was so crazy and we had so much success with afterglow that we had a lot of like pressure on ourselves of being like do we deserve like did we deserve that success was it just luck um so going through the album was like we have 10 songs and they need to be amazing otherwise everyone's gonna think that we're crap and that we can't follow it up yeah yeah and it it definitely put a lot of stress on us to you know to to push ourselves to write these songs that were better than this this and this and um i i think that there were some nights where we pushed ourselves so much creatively that nothing was just flowing no and i think it upset me like a lot like i had i had a few nights where like i just like i cried a lot and i was just telling the boys i was like i just i just don't think that we're going to be able to do it and it's going to suck like we're going to hate it and um i think that the more that we just kind of like sat together and we were like no it's going to be fine the boys were so good like especially with me because i'm such a stress head and i'm like it's not going to be good it's going to suck and um, they were like, no, no, like, you know, just relax. Like, we'll get there. And I think that having the support team that we do, like having, like our producer Stevie was so good, like about all the songs that we were writing and he like helped us out a lot. And um, I think a lot of that, that pressure went away once we got into the studio and we started recording and we started hearing the songs come to life. Yeah. And we were like, <clears throat> okay, maybe this won't suck and maybe we'll be able to, to prove ourselves and I, I definitely think that, like, listening to it, um, it's not the album that I thought we were going to write. And it's not the album that I thought it was going to be. And I think it's 10 songs of us trying to showcase who we are now and who we want to be. Yeah. Because, um, like you said, like, it's it's showing the world who you are. And mm-hmm. I think what we tried to do is um, tried to figure out who we were but keep keep the same feel that we had on Afterglow, but like extend and, you know, um, try new things. And we've only ever done five song EP. So doing 10 songs is like, here's a whole other like 20 minutes of different styles. Like, you know, we released a song that has like soundscapes in it and we have got songs with slide guitars and something that we've never done before. And it was just a lot of fun. And with all that, and obviously with the producer working in the studio alongside you guys, and you've been involved in the mixing, uh, do you believe that the sound is going to be replicated when you go on tour? Is it those sounds that I've been to see bands before, bought a really produced CD, and it sounds 
so polished and then when you go and see it it's a lot more raw do you think that the cd represents exactly how you guys are going to perform these songs live i think it depends on the song um yeah. i think songs like um a song we just released called undersize that song you know is acoustic guitar and it has lots of like little like quirky sounds and like I'm like, there's literally me coughing in it. Um, and we're going to try to replicate that as much as possible live, but kind of make it live yeah. at the same time, make it feel better for a live setting. Um, and another thing for us is like just wanting to, you know, wanting everything to sound the way it does on record, but to make it sound better for like, you know, for that setting, for that live environment. Um, so I hope that, I hope that it, it has that same vibe and I hope it does. Um, but yeah, um, I think that, that, yeah, it's a tricky one because you don't really know as well until you do play yeah. and you go, that doesn't sound right. We need to work on that. And there are a few songs that we've been like, okay, we're going to have to workshop that when we play it live. It's a tough one, isn't it? Cause you hear some of these epic songs that have like a orchestra doing some back in or some string sections and stuff. And it sounds so beautiful, but then it just lacks when you go and see the bands live. So it's a tough one that you want it to sound the best, but also you also want to try and give them the fans the same song that they've been listening to again and again. A hundred percent. And that's like, you know, where, you know, backing tracks come in and I know yeah. lots of people are oh, backing tracks, not a real band, but, um, I think if you use them properly and you use them tastefully, yeah. um, it can add, add a lot, especially when you're just like a young band and, you know, you can't afford an orchestra. But when we can, we will. You'll do the Metallica album of the whole 52-piece orchestra doing all the stuff and have a harpsicle and everything. Full orchestra, concert, that's on the bucket list. In the Sydney Maybe Hall. In the- Sydney <laughs> Hall, yeah, that'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. And now that obviously we're in a really difficult time where bands aren't going out to perform, like you said, you would have been here playing at our festival locally, which would have been amazing, uh, Slam Dunk and all these sorts of different gigs and stuff that have now been postponed. What are you doing? Are you kind of just waiting and rehearsing as much as you can as a band and kind of getting those songs to where they want to be? Or are you already at the point where you're thinking, let's start writing some more stuff? We've been really lucky that even though we haven't been able to tour, we've been busy. Yeah. Um, we've had, you know, putting out this album has meant we've had to do like, you know, music videos and lots of, you know, we got press and all the other stuff. So I feel like every single day we're like, we're doing something, which is making me feel good about it all. I think that, you know, in the beginning of it, when we're kind of sitting around doing nothing, it was a bit like, oh, could be on tour right now. But um, we got to do this thing here in Australia called Like A Version, which is, um, you know, by like our, our radio station, Triple J here. It's like you cover a song and then you do one of your own and it gets played on radio and that was something that we've always wanted to do so we got to work on that um but now we're just we're getting ready to do a release show because here i'm not sure about over there but here you're allowed to have small shows now as long as they're seated which isn't it's not great but we've got nothing at the moment there's literally you can't do anything even in a small venue there's i think it might change very soon but at the moment i've not been to a gig for six months it's so weird hey, like, <laughs> yeah. to not hear live music. I just don't know what it's going to feel like to be in a room and to step on the sticky ground and to smell the smell of gig venues. But, um, no, we're going to do this release show and we're going to do it like an acoustic set and, you know, just have a chat and 
kind of just um, try to do something socially distanced, like have everyone sat like at tables and stuff, yeah. like just something really small. And, you know, because, you know, just as much as people want to, you know, see live music, we want to, you know, we want to do something. And I think it's really, you know, it's important while being safe um, that if you can do something and you can have the opportunity to make people excited about something that I feel like that's what music's about, you know, especially like when you're, when you're like in a band and stuff like that, it's so much about the people that listen to your music. And my final question for you today is um, a lot of bands and musicians listen to this podcast. Um, we've had some big bands on here and the advice I want to get from you is for anyone that's trying to make a name for themselves in the industry right now, when it's so tough, there's so many bands out there, there's so much competition. Uh, what would you advise for those people um, to try and get heard or to get their music out there in the right place so they can get to be in a kind of place that yours truly has been in in the last sort of 12 months? I think just knowing that um, nothing nothing happens overnight and that as long as you're enjoying yourself, it won't feel like you're working. Um, but putting putting your music first, I feel like you can't go wrong by putting your music first and just like, you know, doing something every single day that goes towards it, I feel like is a good way to look at it. I mean, that's great. And it's, uh, it's such a tough one because there's, I look at it as two different ways at the moment. So when I was growing up, I'd buy a lot of CDs and I remember cherishing an album and buying it and my, you know, I'd work in a part-time job and try and buy that favorite album. And it cost me like 15 pounds and I'd listen to it from start to finish and have the yeah. CD booklet and all the lyrics and everything. And now I can just jump on Spotify and kind of just stream a song. And I think music at the moment is a bit more disposable because you can just listen and then go on to the next one or just play shuffle and not even have the same songs or bands at, at one time. And it must be difficult because now you're releasing an album, you want people to listen to it from start to finish. And it, it's such a tough one, but as a musician or in a band, it's the best time ever to get heard because you can get on YouTube, you can get on Instagram and play clips of your sound. So it must be a tricky one to kind of be out there right now, trying to get your music heard, knowing it can be heard by so many, but you need to try and beat everyone else to the, that kind of time for the listener. You're so right. It's, um, it's so easy to find music, but it's also so easy to get um, pushed behind and, you know, you release a song and the next day someone's got a new song out and especially on Spotify, it's like, it's everything is everywhere and there's all this new music. And um, I just, I think that if your song, if someone likes your song and they hear it, you know, they'll, you know, they'll add it to their playlist. And I just think that by being, being there is the best chance of being seen. And as long as you're there, it's like being in it to win it. Um, and I guess you just can't really think about um, fighting with, uh, like, you know, with other bands for, like, for exposure or, like, for attention or anything like that because um, I feel like everyone will get their chance and I feel like there's room for everyone. But then also the other thing of if it's going to be someone, why can't it be you? Amazing. I really appreciate your time today, Michaela. Um, I wish you all the luck with the release of Self Care. Um, I know it's been a tough time having your album finished just before everyone went down on lockdown, but I'm sure you're absolutely like, just can't wait to get out there next year and play these songs live. And I really hope that, you know, Slam Dunk happens and we get to see you over in the UK and some tour dates and, you know, we'll, we'll share a drink and celebrate the album properly. And I wish you all the luck with it. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully we'll see you over the next year. So there it is. There's me and Michaela talking all things music. 
As I said at the start of today's interview, the self-care album is out now. It's an incredible piece of work. From start to finish, you will not skip a track, and I can't wait to see the response from people that listen to today's episode that then go and check out this album. All the stuff that we talk about on today's interview about getting this album right has been demonstrated in this album. It's phenomenal. If you do love the album, get onto markandme.com and let me know. I love seeing the response of people that haven't heard about an artist or someone I've had on the show. They then go and take the time out, check out the guest and fall in love with an album or a film or a piece of music because of the podcast. There's no bigger compliment than seeing that for me. So please, if you do, let me know. The best way to get hold of me is to go on markandme.com. On there, there's links to my Facebook page, my Twitter page, my Instagram or email. I personally reply to every single tweet or Facebook comment or message I get and I really do take pride in that. So if you love it, let me know and I'll be sure to get back in contact with you. A massive thank you again to the great folks at Good As Gold. They are incredible and they take the time out to get me some of the amazing guests on this podcast. And today for getting me Michaela from Yours Truly is an honour. So thank you so much to Matt, Haley, and Harris and all the guys there. Honestly, I can't say to you enough how much I appreciate the work you guys put in. If you guys have enjoyed today's episode, please share it on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. I've said it a lot on the podcast recently. It costs nothing to share a post. You literally can hit retweet and it could make a massive difference. All those people that follow you then get to check out the podcast. It costs nothing to do and is the click of a button. It means so much when I see a retweet, so please keep them coming. And if you really enjoy the podcast and want to contribute, I do have a Patreon page. On there, you can sign up for as little as a pound a month. And for that, you're getting five episodes every month at the moment, easily an episode a week, sometimes even more. So it's absolutely ridiculously cheap. And all the money goes right back into the podcast, allows me to go out and conduct more interviews, which means more episodes for you guys at home. And not only that, I offer loads of prizes and loads of giveaways. So jump on board. And honestly, it makes a massive difference. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. You know what it's like. It's absolutely manic at the moment. I'll be back in a few days' time with a brand new episode. So until then, go and listen to yours truly. Stay safe and I'll speak to you all soon. Mm